finger he like did that like weird like finger although although to his credit uh we told him that we weren't going to be recording his his image and he really took advantage of that to <laughs> dig for gold really yeah we lied we lied to zizek <laughs> i was making a joke My- michael hello good to see you hi hello hey, good morning. i was hey, saying uh, good morning <laughs> yeah i was saying welcome back to zizek and so on raw where we've got you know one guy who's so nervous about maintaining his uh, reputation as a fucking flake that he's like, I'm sick, but I'm going to do this anyway. And then we got another guy. It's like 11 p.m. He's naked and he reaches across his bed and he puts on a high visible vest. And then <laughs> what are you wearing? I, yeah, why is, are you wearing that? <laughs> I, I, That's, it's, you, it's cold, man. <laughs> it's cold. <laughs> I was just going to say, Michael, we see you. You're valid. In fact, we, we see you because you're very high visibility. <laughs> and Jake, uh, 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 I acknowledge your uh, your fortitude and uh, chutzpah to uh, to join us at such a low moment in your life. That's it, man. Chutzpah. I I and to add to the to the list, I I just finished a uh, a very unsettling movie, and I I got I got that feeling in my stomach of like, what did I just watch? So I'm trying to I'm trying to overcome that feeling. What did you watch? Uh, it's called The Vanishing. It's like a Dutch movie from the 80s. Uh, it just, it's actually like kind of a brilliant movie and, and in some ways perfectly fits the topic that we chose for today. But I don't really want to have any spoilers. So, but we could. I could spoil it for you if you want. Well, How good theory. is it? Yeah. It's, I would recommend to a friend. All in the name of theory. You, you can spoil it. We'll just, you know. Like if you're just spoiling it for the sake of spoiling it, but if you're using it to to, I could bring it up later. Do... I'll bring it up later. Oh, it's gonna be really ref- as a little conversational morsel for you later. It's gonna be refreshing. <laughs> it's gonna be refreshing. I'm gonna say that I'm not gonna. Tr- I'm gonna try and participate less because of this, and I think that'll be refreshing because I'm usually I never shut the fuck up. So I think it'll be it'll be good. I think I think your participation is exactly what it needs to be all the time. Thank you, Peter. So here we are, guys. We made it. Yeah. We- I wanted to say we arrived at our destination, but that's just cheesy. That's a little cheesy. Okay. Hello, everyone. We got we got Michael down there in Australia. We got Jacob over there in, in Ontario. And we got we got me and Peter over here in Bleep. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh uh we're we're double behind the curtain now because it's Michael's first patron patron episode. Whoa. We usually do this one naked while we're recording, but uh, I got that vibe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Peter, Jake, Will, Michael, Jijek, and so on, and we're doing uh, the uh, the letter always arrives at its destination as a topic. 
right? Why? Why does the letter? Why does a letter always arrive at its destination? Well, we okay. We um, we uh, read a, an excerpt of um, what book was it, Michael? Uh, enjoy your enjoy your enjoy your symptom. Enjoy your symptom. Um, and it's great. I I, uh, I was pretty jazzed when I was reading this. Yeah, it is a good book. <laughs> yeah, because Enjoy Your Symptom has the Charlie Chaplin video analysis, and then um, the Lacanian Inc. one is the Voyager or something. Uh, but more more so in this in this um, excerpt here, he's kind of breaking down the uh, the concept of the letter uh, between the um, the uh, imaginary, the symbolic, and the real, and how those three um, ways of understanding it kind of go together and what they uh say about um Edgar Allan Poe's Perloin. Perloin. And uh which means not which means to take, I believe. I think it's simple. But it's a kind of take, but it's a but it's actually a kind subtle of subtle taking. Exactly. Yeah. It it's not surreptitious, but there's a I'm just typing it in the old to steal. It, well, it's just what, to it's, steal. It's, it's stealing, <laughs> stealing, is, stealing is taking something, but it's a, it's, it's a, a it's subtle a type of it's, it's a type of subtle. I charge you five years. You're guilty for the crime of <laughs> subtly taking something. From me. <laughs> they used to get their but hands is, cut off for subtly taking things. In, purloining in, does have that in the older sort of days. Sneaky, sexy little kind of signification that I get it. Purloined. Do you want to describe the plot? Of the uh, purloined letter, does it matter? Does it even matter? Nah, I don't think so. Okay, letter goes missing. Detective tries to find letter. Letter gets found hidden in plain sight. Mind equals blown. I think it's also yeah. We speak now with no conjunction, but um, <laughs> the point also is that the letter is it it, it goes from hand to hand it's purloined from person to person right and i think operatively we do not know the contents of the letter and it's arguable that no one knows the contents of the letter but the letter is purloined nonetheless and it has a function maybe beyond what is written within it so that's a form content thing nice one but it's a form content thing in the way that we also might think about a parallax as being the kind of unique wedding between uh, the ideal and the material. And it also kind of is a really unique way of, of how Lacan kind of both states the, you know, the, the structuralist and linguistic significance of language in psychoanalysis, but also kind of moves beyond psychoanalysis because he starts talking about, it's his way of sort of talking about the signifier, but also talking about objet petit, which is this sort of, stand in this sort of excess that is i think beyond the structuralist interpretation of just like you know a, a chain of signifiers meaning mm -hmm. is passed yeah, as form and never as content you know it's this it's this sort of this it's the excess of of the signifier yeah the subject yeah. enters the symbolic order in this in this uh telling it's what he calls the the ontic umbilical cord in the ontological the the anchoring character of the inscription of the subject into the into the ob objective world yeah yeah cool. the field of view the, the horizon of meaning whatever you want to call it um so so he uh in this in his description he the first level he talks about speaks about it is in terms of the imaginary and he writes 
in a first approach, a letter always arrives at its destination, points to the logic of recognition and misrecognition. So like in this, in this category, um, the letter is arrives at the, um, even if it's in the wrong destination, it still, it still arrives at a place for a person who receives it. And it doesn't, it doesn't really matter who it specifically is because yeah, it's exactly. still, yeah, because it's still arriving somewhere. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like how some, something is always in the last place you look, right? Mm-hmm. It, has, it has a lot to do with the retro, like retro, like re- the importance of retroactivity for Zizek too. Like it's, it's, it's sort of like the way he figures love or, or something like yeah. there's, there's two ways of understanding teleology and, and, and Derrida famously, and well, we should talk about that, but Derrida yeah. and Lacan have a, yeah. have a back and forth over this. And, and, and Derrida's claim is that, you know, um, Lacan's actually like a logocentrist and, and is, is sort of obsessed with teleology. If he can assume that a letter does in fact always risk arriving at its destination. Whereas for Derrida, a, a letter never arrives at its destination, but it's funny because it's the two forms of teleology, right? It's the one that is, um, the one that is like uh, uh, absolute working towards some kind of predetermined or predestined goal and is one. And then there's the Lacanian Hegelian teleology, which is uh, something happens and then you retroactively piece it together as being necessary. Right. It's like, and, it's yeah, qu- quite great. Right. I am like, it's like the way, wherever the destination is, is wherever the thing actually ends up. And then you retroactively, assume that it's the destination right it's like the function of althusserian interpolation right like like it, the arrival of ideology is when the subject recognizes themselves as the uh pointed person on the street under the gaze of authority it's a retroactive reconfiguring of the receiving of the letter of ideology well he mentions the 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 uh message in a bottle yeah, as like, like the that. perfect explanation, of it, right? Yeah, it's quintessential, right? It's it's you put a you put a message while you toss it, and it doesn't wherever it ends up, the message will be received, and and hence wherever it's received will be its destination. Yeah, right? because if you're Teleo- looking at the that. level of a tautology or a teleology, like there is a complete near, like there's a nearly a complete impossibility that the bottle will be delivered to the person who eventually it's delivered to, but in in Lacan's iteration of it, that retroactivity saves it from that. Uh, the true destination of the bottle is the moment it's delivered. Well, yeah, I, I guess it's the idea that when you look backward from an event, you perceive the process backwards from its contingent result. Yeah, right. So the fact yeah. that events took this or that precise path appears uncanny, mm-hmm. and that the illusions produced by a place in the symbolic network and a contingent element which occupies it. So the message in the bottle picked up and read by someone on the shoreline of some other country on the other side of the Atlantic finds themselves as the addressee, which isn't, divide, uh, which isn't defined by their positive qualities, but by the contingent fact of being there at that place and time. Mm-hmm. It's always like a significant event, finding it. Yeah. yeah. Did you guys have to like do this at school? In the stars, right? Did you have to? Would you guys at school do that thing where you would make a time capsule and you'd bury it in the yard or whatever? Where, where I guess you are in some ways the future receiver of the time capsule. Yeah, exactly. or at least the big other is. I mean, the big other yeah, exactly. I'm there, but <laughs> and that's the that's the fantasized ad- addressee, which is only noted by the big other. He said, "Yeah, Michael, you said uh, illusion 
you mentioned illusion and you just mentioned fantasy and like that's what's kind of neat is this uh this position in the symbolic order this interpolated position too right so back to Althusser like what's neat is that we all have in the symbolic network a kind of interpolated position that we take up and and in a certain way that's actually in the fantasy of it's in the purview it's in the fantastical purview of others of the other of the big other right we take up the fantasy position that we believe the big other you know wishes us to be right why am i what i am for you kind of grounding of our sub of our of our subjectivity so to speak so we have in the symbolic network this kind of position that we take up which is ultimately the destination right for all messages both um transmitted and received um on on the on page seven of of the reading and this is from the book um he says this great in the network of of or rather this is page six in the network of intersubjective relations each one of us is identified with pinned down to a certain fantasy place and the other symbolic structure we can relate to these people of flesh and blood only insofar as we are able to identify them with a certain place in our symbolic fantasy space, or to put it in a more pathetic way, only insofar as they fill out a place pre-established in our dream. We fall in love with a woman insofar as her features coincide with the fantasy figure of a woman, capital W. The real father is a miserable individual obliged to sustain the burden of the name of the father, never fully adequate to his symbolic mandate, and so forth. Um, I think that's really, really a cool way of understanding this. Because, Peter, remember, you set this off with, this is the way we understand the imaginary through the Perloin letter. I think that's the, the our ego is that is the destination for, you know, all symbolic, mm-hmm. all meaning transmitted, yeah? And it's even when the place. event appears spontaneous or contingent, like the message in the bottle, you reconfigure the fact that it always was going to be significant after the fact well the fantasy that. sustains <laughs> right the fantasy sustains the the like the gap between my teeth, <laughs> your teeth. <laughs> yeah but the fantasy sustains the gap right like the, the the it it allows for like ultimately the purloining of the letter so to speak right it allows for this movement of excess because nothing is ever actually fantasy because we can't dwell on the real so so fantasy is the thing that sustains these positions but also allows them to be articulated as you know quote-unquote meaningful and as a destination which is just a fantastic it's a it's a phantasmic destination right it's becomes it always already becomes this the destination as you know when a message when we receive a message we were the destination but i think i think you, you understand the the, the, the confused like the the duality there right the lacanian duality it's not it's like that retroactivity is amazing right so we have this fantastic position in the symbolic order so that we can sustain so and which is sustained so that meaning can actually do there, this. yeah it's, there's the sim, there's the symbolic complete transmission yeah yeah there's like the symbolic like potential for being an addressee of the symbolic order and then the moment in which you become the addressee. And well, we are so, and we also always are the addressee of, of the big other, right? Mm-hmm. And we just speak the language of the big other too. So that incompleteness and, is, is the very, like, very functioning of language. Zizek has a, a great anal- um, <clears throat> analogy about uh, 
or example for this is that that guy who uh, sent a, a bomb to the parliament, um, but didn't put, he, he, forgive me, he didn't, something happened. He didn't put a name on it or something in the address. Yeah. But he did put the return address. He forgot that he sends it. The, 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 the package is sent back, returned to the sender. He forgot that he sent this bomb. He opens it up unwitt- unwittingly and it, he blows himself up. And Zizek says, you see, a message, you know, a letter always does, in fact, arrive at its destination. It's, yeah, it's like the return of the repressed. He like, it's like parapraxis. He writes the wrong, it's like a slip of the tongue almost, right? Like he doesn't actually, on some level, he probably meant to do that, you know? Yeah, the sender always receives his own message in reverse form. So the repressed always returns. That's the symbolic debt that has to be settled. There's also something that Zizek claims that the identification or interpolation, so the being addressed by the letter that always reaches its destination, is always also a failure. So there's something which always resists full identification and the failure of interpolation produces ideological fantasies to fill out the gap. So what obstacles prevent you from full identification? So in the example of the, the father who's just a pathetic, normal person who can't ever elevate themselves to that symbolic mandate. So all forms of interpolation, all forms of being an addressee aren't consistent. They're not full forms of identification. But so, so then how does that relate with like the fact that the letter always then arrives at its destination if there's still that fundamental kind of gap there? I think that's the hysterical position, right? So it indicates a, the failure of a kind of complete interpolation. Mm-hmm. So, right. you know, the person who picks up that um, message in a bottle, that contingent empirical subject is still relating to that, to that call in a hysterical mode. What is it about me? That's that sense of destiny, fate, preordained, order, etc where you're like how is it that i ended up being the one in this position not just in the symbolic order but empirically in that position being there and being Mm -hmm. that what is it that is being asked of me what does it want from me what's in me more than me that's the yeah and that's the hysterical question yeah the one who the one who fails to adapt uh to the reality of their circumstances right but and but their complaints and moans and and uh and and fail and like the, the because they are able to speak to this failure of adapting the failure of adapting is actually returned like they're saying that is the is the truth that they in fact very much are adapted to the reality and it's the return of the the, the press the repressed in that sense the hysteric is like why is it me why is it me in this position why am i what i am but really they're 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 saying that means that they're accustomed to the out of jointness the uncanniness of subjectivity because they're kind of reading themselves into it because like the address is it's not addressed to anyone and yet you make it about yourself when you encounter it in that way um should we get into the so like near the end of this section he maybe you already mentioned it jake but the the specific part where jujak mentions the deridian reproach is the letter can also miss his it's a is it it's addressee and that Derrida's point is therefore beside the point. It makes sense only in so far as I presume that I can be its addressee before the letter was uh, reaches me. Um, so, like, what's up? And it's interesting because that type of subjectivity is almost 
conflicting with Derrida's notion of the subject in general, right? Because Derrida's subject in that case would have to be kind of exist in a, in a teleological and continuous way. Yeah, because for Zizek, it's the act of recognition which makes you what you recognize yourself as. So you mm-hmm. don't recognize yourself in it because you are its addressee. Rather, you become its addressee the moment you recognize yourself in it. So that uh, always already subject emerges after interpolation. It's produced retroactively as having been always already present. Yeah, it's like uh, that in the joke, he describes a joke early in the passage. He says, like, my mother is from one city. My father is from another and I am from London. It's such it's such an amazing coincidence that we all met. Yeah. For and and that's the that's the level of misrecognition that that uh orients on the level of the imaginary that Zizek is talking about. Whereas the the Deridian uh interpretation would have to depend on like on it actually being shocking that you all met in a certain way. Do you think it applies? Do you think that the that this applies to the um the the separation he talks about between I and ah between ego ideal and the subject's symbolic identification? And the object do you think that's interesting that 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 you like michael said you you become once you see yourself as the address at, once you see yourself in the addressee as in the address rather you become the addressee it's the difference between the you know the ideal ego and hmm. the thing in you that is more than you the residual the excess the object the subject as object right because when you are when you become addressed or rather the addressee, you are making yourself object for the gaze of the other, right? And, and I think on a much larger structural level, we do that for the big other all the time, right? We are mm-hmm. always already eating from the, I'm, I'm, I'm eating from the trash can already all the time, right? Um, but I think that that, that that has to do with being object, right? And Will, you did say something about top, topography, right? Because I love oh. that word. Yeah. Topology? Yeah. Topography. Well, yeah, I think I was I was I've been trying to reformulate that, but I think it's it's about specific placidness and the impossibility of a meta language, right? Like you're you are located by the interpolative call, right? You're identified as being in in, a, in an actual place. Um and then bringing that into the the kind of symbolic place. Uh, I think what what the point there is that it's not just a neutral point, um, but that the like there there's a point which is occupied, which then enables you to see things apparently objectively and impartially. Exactly, or, you're or not just made so. Sub- anyway. Well, it's when the cop on the street calls says, "Hey, you, you like you here in the call, you yourself, right? Mm-hmm. You you be you you're made both subject and object. You're you're placed." in that symbolic network. And so I think your, your thing about like, about location is actually, it's important because it's in the, it's in our making ourselves objective. So to be seen as it were, right. It's not just look, it's not just remember he has his distinction between seeing and looking in that, in the Chaplin film. And it's like to, to be, to make oneself an object in the, in the field of view of the other is a position. It's a it's a subject position. It's like view versus gaze. I think that's what he says. He says in this one, um, the best way to exemplify this inversion is through the dialectic of view and gaze. In what I see, there is always a point where I see nothing, 
which makes no sense, i.e. which functions as a stain. This is the point from which the picture returns the gaze and looks back at me. A letter arrives at its destination precisely at this point in the picture. Here I encounter myself, my own objective correlative. I am inscribed in the picture. That, that description, I believe it's right after that that he says that this is what exceeds where, where psychoanalysis exceeds philosophy because like there's no accounting in the kind of phenomenological description of philosophy that can make sense of how of how the subject enters the observed field there in in what is not seen in like like that that can't really account for their own subject position in what they're saying and i think that is um the, his example of that uh in this in this way of what we're talking about like in terms of there being no meta language uh, is his description of the beautiful soul. Yeah. Where the beautiful soul tries to present themselves as this like impassive victim of the world, but doesn't understand that they themselves are implicated within it. So there is a phenomenological description of it, i.e. Hegel's phenomenology. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but he did say that. <laughs> and, we, and we get a cute little Heidegger mention, which is, which is nice there. You know, yeah. it's, so, it's so rare that you see his name in it, but it's, it's great. He's like, not like the whole philosophical tradition doesn't have a place for this, this like this stain and not even Heidegger. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, adds that in. Like, fuck you, Heidegger. <laughs> especially Lisa, but especially Bud. <laughs> the beautiful soul stuff's pretty interesting. I reckon like the letter arrives at its destination when the subject's finally forced to assume the consequence of their activity or the true consequence of their activity. Mm. So your words or deeds are disclosed by the consequences mm -hmm. and you have no right to deny them. So he says something like, uh, the hero does not step aside when the arrow that he shot makes its full circle and flies back at him, that you have to take into account the consequences of your words or deeds in the symbolic network. So your intentionality or whatever is out the window, but because you always say more than you mean, there's always yeah. some sort of surplus, some excess. Right. And is this a sense in which there's a kind of reversal from you become its addressee, but also its sender of the letter? Yeah. The arrow comes back. I, I think that the, the, about this, but it's funny now we're doing, it's, it's cool. Like, will you had the kind of lo the location, the locus part of, of the, the letter arriving at its destination. And I think there's also a temporal element too, mm -hmm. which um, is that, that moment of the excess, right. Of the absolute uncertainty or openness of its indeterminateness, right. The, mm -hmm. the, the letter will arrive at its destination, but its destination is actually indeterminate. It's only ever retroactively assumed as determinate. Right. And like, I, I kept, Sorry, go ahead, Evan. I, hit me, hit me. I've got my plate. Like, no, I'm good. It's like when you send a letter, you almost don't believe that it's going to go anywhere. You know, there's always, always like, you, you never believe, you, like, for me, when I send a letter, I always assume it's lost until the person who I sent it to acknowledges that they received it. I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. And in fact, when I first read, because in, in university, I did read the exchange between Lacan and Derrida. I was, I mean, I was a Derrida cuck at that point. So I believed that the very mystery, like, the, or not the mystery, the sort of like cross your heart, hope to die, you know, say a fucking Hail Mary and send the letter. Like, <laughs> it's true. Like, there's always this possibility that like, why does, why would it arrive at its destination? I mean, it seems, it seems almost impossible, but, but as a way of explaining, I think it, it, it's not really about 
the Canadian Post here. We're not really talking about the. I mean, in some way, we are talking about the Postman, Mister Postman. But, but really, like, <laughs> but we're but we're talking what, about what a tapestry you weave, Jake. <laughs> but but they're using return the sender. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Return the sender. Address unknown. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> um. But uh, but just uh, okay. Well, I, I'm I'm losing my thread there. So, the Derrida, uh, Derrida, the the uh, yeah, the Kenneth. I just wanted to. I wanted to. I wanted to definitely commiserate with you and say that, like, I find that the, what's so what's so amazing is that the letter, in fact, does arrive at its destination. But there is a fear as a sender. I mean, and as a speaker, like, and why did subject. you know when as a subject when you speak? There's the. I mean, the the constant fear is like, well, you, you don't get what I'm saying. You're not, you're not, you're not, why do you not understand what I'm saying? And it's actually kind of a fucking miracle that you guys, I see you, you guys have got three little squares in front of me. You're all nodding your head when I speak. Jake's making some kind of sense, I guess, but it's a, it's the, it's the miraculous risk of sense, right? It's because there's always this excess that, that I have absolutely no control over. And that is the, that uncertain, that openness, that excess that is passed along through any message is yeah. does also arrive at the destination but it might not the be the destination of, i fucking want it yeah yeah like the 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 hysterical reaction to not being understood in the way that you might intend for it to be is the same maybe as that feeling you have when you put the letter in the slot and there's like there's no way that that the letter goes from the box to like the, the sorting facility to all these hands that it gets dealt with like finally well, you know makes its way across the ocean and you know the, it's a symbolic order. It's the kind of material circumstance of the of the of the post and of the transportation. All of these things that depend, like exist beyond you, that function beyond you, that you almost don't really believe exists beyond you. And this is the gap between subject and object that that the sub that the subject is unfortunate unfortunately is. You know, has anyone ever been in a relationship where it seems like the person is just always picking up on the secondary meaning of what you're saying? You know. I'm going out with yeah. friends means you're going to fuck somebody or I'm you no, know, or, you know, and the list goes on and on. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm not speaking from uh, personal experience here at all. Okay. Absolutely I'm, not. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a monk. Okay. <laughs> but, but I think it's really, it's important is that there's what you say, and then there's what the other hears. There's what the big other hears. There's what the other sees at, you know, in their fantasy construction of you. The destination is not something you determine. And that excess is terrifying, right? And so I just wanted like, to say, yeah, yeah, go, Will. No, please no, go. No, yeah, no, you're, you're, the, you're the beautiful soul. You're the beautiful yeah, soul. I was just about to say this, like the distinction yeah. between like actuality and uh, the position of the Intent. beautiful soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the beautiful soul projects its its uh, loca- like contingent location as necessary, being that it understands itself in a particular in a particular world um and then at the mercy of that world at the mercy of that world and then yeah but then kind of outside of it enough to comment upon it objectively and outside and outside Mm -hmm. of the meta discourse right or rather sorry it's an attempt to it's attempt towards a meta discourse uh but then versus like a letter a letter arises at its destination once it is like once it is actually occurred being like this is what lacan says about hegel's formula the the rational is the actual you know what i'm trying to get at I'm, i feel like i'm not getting there it. but 
And you know what's weird is that, that Poe actually said to him, you know, in a letter, and I, I just got this from Wikipedia, so it's not like I'm, I've got a hot take here, but Poe po said to his friend about the Purloin letter, he said, this is one of my best stories about rationalization, so ra- like rationalizing about the, the capacity to, to, to reason. Oh, he, said, wow. this is, he said, this is my best story about sort of the capacity to reason, which the word is, what is it, rationalization? Anyway, um, which is kind of neat because mm-hmm. because the Hegel Hegel really plays in there. I, I the one thing I've been meaning intending to say is that the absolute uncertainty and the openness of that of that is actually the destination, right? The the object, the excess, the thing that is passed along and all tra- and all messages transmitted. It, it I kept on thinking before we even read this about Lacan's short sessions, about how he where he once the patient or the analyzand arrives at the, the breakthrough, the sort of moment of undeterminedness, indeterminedness, he ends the session. Because for, for, for fear of basically incorporating the, the uncertainty, the openness, the indeterminateness of that moment, because everything after that is, well, allow me to explain what just happened, right? And, and personally, I've been there, right? Where, where something happens and then you're like, oh, well, it's just my overbearing mother or my, you know, my obsession with this or my fantasy of that. Um, but Lacan was famous for being like, oh, but right when you're at that, like, that moment of uncertainty, he ends it before you just reincorporate it into your ideal, mm-hmm. you know, ideal ego, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that, and he talks about uh, the way that Chaplin ends the film. Is it City Lights? Um, yeah, he ends the film in that indetermination where, where Chaplin himself or that or is we 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 see from the perspective of the lover who realizes it's him. I can see now, right? That it's it's not the rich man, but it's the it's the clown, right? That we finish the movie without allowing for the big other to decide whether or not he is accepted as as who he is or not and i think that that's brilliant because it's, it's the Lacanian trope of of the short session it's sort of like we don't allow for the indeterminateness of the destination to be assigned uh-huh yeah so the indeterminateness is kind of the the truly maybe more um revolutionary perspective well there's the object cause and I, there's the I, object of you know it's like that that to me is like we, we finish the film with the object cause of desire without relegating it to the object of desire right we don't we don't say you know what i mean the excess okay, is actually so maintained this perfectly yeah okay so the the movie that i just watched the vanishing sporlos in dutch uh a man's wife goes missing and he spends years trying to figure out where she went and at a, at a certain point the 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 abductor presents himself and says if you want to know i'll show you what happened to her but you have to um, experience the same thing that she experienced. You will only know what happened to her by going through what she went through. And the husband is very torn and he, he almost walks away. And then at the last moment, drinks a sleeping pill to figure to, you know, because he has to know what happened to her. And he wakes up an hour later and he's been buried alive and very quickly realizes that knowing was a whole lot worse than not knowing because. Uh, the object of desire, the, what sustained his life, the mystery um, kept him going and finding out will in fact kill him. And the movie ends. It's, it was quite a jarring ending. Not a great articulation of what we're talking about here, though. It's perfect. Kind of perfect. Yeah. Holy perfect. shit. Wow. Whoa. 
I was I was pretty deeply unsettled by that. <laughs> <laughs> when he started walking away, I was like, yes, just go walk away. <laughs> I'm going to grab a drink. Oh, sure. Enjoy the music for a minute. I have that I have that like weird thing where you're like so stuffed up but you're also your whole thing is dry as like a bucket you know you're like yeah 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 that, yeah that you know you know the depths of your sinuses only in these moments when you're like it's like there's some space in my head that's just <laughs> yeah. fucking dry but Jake it's, like, true it's, that you, somewhere... it's true that you weren't gonna get sick until you got sick by this logic you only retroactively got sick yeah you know what uh pick if you have a way um Pick yourself up a home test, a couple home tests. Um, they're really easy and uh, takes like 15 minutes. How did you get one of those? Uh, I got one recently. I was at that. I was walking through Dow and they had them like at the student uh, center. Anyway, wow. where were we? <laughs> yeah, that's that's that, that's sexy. Eh? It's like Frosh Week 2022. Instead of condoms, you get fucking COVID test. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of a dental dam, you get a fucking COVID test. <laughs> Before you fuck, make sure you test for your COVID. Yeah, that's that's the only time of type of prophylactic you have to worry about these days. It's terrible. All, all other illnesses and, and diseases pale in comparison. Yeah. <laughs> hey, honestly, guys, just, I'm just trying to think of I'm just trying to think so of much. like a situation in which a dental dam would have presented itself as something that would have I would have <laughs> used. I've never seen one in real life. Oh, never mind. By dental plan. Well. Do you want to? I mean, wait, I don't think we need to include the uh, the dental dam segment of our conversation in the. But this I, is page episode. That was just for and us. This is a page episode, and we are naked. So, uh, would you like? Would you like to? Uh, <laughs> is there anything that we're missing here? Okay, wait, I, the Maybe, real is next. I, I'm. Why does it always arrive at its destination versus eh, sometimes? The idea is that the big other always registers it, right? So it's always arriving at a destination. Mm-hmm. I, I think maybe a destination becomes the destination when it arrives. Oh, nice and it's one. not like it. It's not like it disappears, like into thin air. It, it landed it's, it's out. Exactly. The, it landed in the Alps with the uh, Brazilian soccer team. It's namely not the the addressee is namely not the empirical other which may receive it or not, but the big other, the symbolic order itself which receives it the moment the letter is put into circulation, i.e. the moment the sender externalizes his message, delivers it to the other, the moment the other takes cognizance of the letter, and thus disburdens the sender of responsibility for it. I mean, okay, a- conceptually, I understand the always thing in terms of it being registered in the big other, but why always? There's a, um, Maladan Dala has a little joke story where... They're in the middle of a battle and there's a company of Italian soldiers in the trenches and an Italian commander who issues the command, soldiers attack. He cries out in a loud and clear voice to make himself heard in the midst of the tumult, but nothing happens. Nobody moves. So the commander gets angry and shouts louder, soldiers attack. Still nobody moves. And since in jokes, things happen three times for something to stir. He yells even louder, soldiers attack. At which point there is a response, a tiny voice rising from the trenches saying appreciatively, Chabella voice, what a beautiful voice. <laughs> um, so tempting to say that that's an example of the letter 
not reaching the destination, but a destination, mm. which oh, has yeah, to okay. include the subject seeing themselves in that address, but incorrectly from the point of view of the commander. Mm-hmm. So you recognize yourself yeah. as the addressee of the ideological big other, but it's a form of misrecognition. That's why the, that's why the jokes. And where the, where the sender becomes, be, becomes also the addressee. Yeah. Um, well, we've, we've discussed um, the imaginary and the symbolic. He ends it obviously with the real. Uh, he, uh, he says the motive of fate has brought us to the very brink of the third level, that of the real. Here, a letter always arrives at its destination equals meeting one's fate. We will all die. Already a common pre-theoretical sensitivity enables us to detect the ominous undertone that issues from a letter always arrives at its destination. The only letter that nobody can evade, the letter which has each of us uh, as its infallible addressee, it's death. That's nice. That's nice. And it, it ties in. I'm reading Moby Dick right now. And they're on these whaling. You are. Shows. Yeah. It's, Excellent. Is this side, sidebar? Is, sidebar Moby Dick fucking rules. And it's the probably best the book best book ever written. Yes. It's the best book ever written. Yeah. I like fucking hands down. Now, is this a main voyage for you? I read half of it book? when I was 20. I read half in six months when I was 20. Uh, now I'm, I'm a couple hundred pages from the end. And that's, that's, Melville, 10, that's 10 days. Melville, amazing. Yeah. Thank you. I wanted that encouragement. I wanted an enthusiastic yes. um but in the in the book uh there's a character on brief brief briefly mentioned the one of the mates on another ship that the pequod encounters and uh incidentally the the pequod which is the ship of ishmael and ahab uh has a letter which is addressed to this man which used to be the case that ships out you know, sailing around, sailing around the world's oceans might happen to encounter each other, in which case a letter might, be a, might, might arrive at its, you know, at its addressee in a few years. Or in this case, it arrives after the character has died. And, that, and this is like, I think, you know, you, you could do a nice little reading of, of, the, of Moby Dick in this case, you know, that the, the true the letter which reached his definition was his, was his demise. That's good. Yeah, that's a good example. Or so, not, like the like yeah. oh, like the uh, the subtle underlying potential, like you know, in some sense, we are a letter, I guess, and we will arrive at our destination, which is death. Well, that's funny because I take it differently than that. I take that there's a letter coming. To, we are we are a destination. We're not a letter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a letter is coming our way, and it's coming down the chute, and it will eventually, sometimes earlier, sometimes later by any means, arrive at our, uh, the, its destination. Yeah, you're right, you're right. I, I, rescind, I rescind my comment, and I, I enter yours for... But we are also kind yeah. of a letter, too. You know? Yeah, because he... Yeah, because the letter reached... the Because he didn't... Re, a destination didn't re, reach a destination there. That sounds kind of weird. Well, the... the uh, no, the letter is death, and it's and we're the des- its destination. Yeah. The letter which has each of us as its infallible address. <laughs> oh, it's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's like the other the other anecdote that Zizek loves, you know, with the with death. It's an appointment in Samara. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah but can you re- reread that death quote one more time while we're, while we're on the topic of death? Uh, the whole paragraph? Just like the spice a little bit at the end. Uh, 
Already a common pre-theoretical sensitivity enables us to detect the ominous undertone that issues from a letter always arrives at its destination. The only letter that nobody can evade, the letter which each has each of us as its infallible addressee, is death. What do you think he means there by pre-theoretical? Well, it's, it's that there's, the being towards death is something that is not something, he thinks that it's something that it's experience, you can experience outside of a kind of theoretical explanation of it yeah it's not philosophically controversial to say that we will die mm-hmm. yeah yeah although i did use being towards death so that's kind of lame <laughs> well that's yeah. the other thing is that heidegger says that death is the most certain possibility which i really like well it's, yeah it's your own most and most your, it's your authentic possibility no no one else can stand in for you right you no one else can die your death for you it's your own most authentic possibility but in a way, the guy kind of dies twice because the letter arrives after he's dead. And so he's sort of like re-dead when the letter arrives. <laughs> and that's the difference between Symbol, death yeah. in the real and the death in the symbolic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's died. I, I had the yeah. same thing because I was thinking about um, when I was a kid, my dad had his father's watch on like the vanity in my parents' bedroom. And I just watched this film called Rocketeer from the 90s. I don't know if anybody's seen that, but just some dude who puts on like a cool jetpack and zooms about the place. Um, but I used to jump off the roof. Oh, you mean the is, that, is that where there's a piece of gum that he puts over the hole in the thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did gum. see that. Yeah. So this was, this was a sick movie when I was a kid. Um, so I'd jump off the roof of the house onto the trampoline doing this like Rocketeer game. But in the movie, when he gets to a certain height the pressure causes the face of his watch to crack Mm -hmm. so i've gone into my parents room got the watch and just smashed the shit out of it on the side of the trampoline (laughs) and jumped you know playing rocketeer and my dad eventually like sees me playing he's like oh he's got that fucking watch on he comes up gently takes it off my wrist goes into the house goes into his room and just doesn't come out you know, um, probably has a cry or whatever. And it's this. <laughs> so the, <laughs> the point would be that the letter arrives at its destination for my dad of his father's death. So the mm. symbolic death of my granddad mm-hmm. having had to die twice, first in the real and then symbolically with mm. the destruction of the watch. So that's the fetishized object that sustains his father. And that's the arrow of death having finally found its addressee to take account of that passing both in the real and the symbolic very nice that reminds that that's great it reminds me of Zizek's story about his friend with the with the parrot with the bird that uh the man's wife died and it appeared not to really affect him and then the bird died and he he became like totally yeah he just lost him yeah 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 Yeah. inconsolable and I think where he ends where he ends this piece is 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 inserting enjoyment into this into this relationship of the real and death and of the letter. Where does he insert it? Where is he inserting that? He says he says the, the name of this substance that provides the traumatic shock of the symbolic universe is enjoyment. The ultimate variation on the theme of a letter that always arrives at its destination would be you can never get rid of the stain of enjoyment. The very gesture of renunciation to enjoyment produces inevitably a surplus enjoyment that Lacan writes down as the small object. 
Well, I'm just going to do this like Heideggerian reversal, but like, isn't the whole, isn't, isn't it basically a letter always arrives at its destination because of the original letter, the OG letter, the one that's coming towards all of us? Like, doesn't, sure does because it, like, like that's the, that's the real interpretation, but like the symbolic and the, and the imaginary still, still function in this. In this framework you know but i'm always inclined to and i know this is, this is improper but, but like Jake, there's a somebody sorry. elevate the real to like yeah to the sort of the to the top of the triangle you know of the of the three and and to say that the real ostensibly because there is finitude there's mm. enjoyment right there's the excess uh the incompleteness of of, of ontology right of, of of being i don't know is it i mean that we then inscribe in language. Does the does the enjoyment um, merely depend on death, uh, or does it some ways kind of upset uh, our relationship to death? You know I think I mean? it is. It's a way of inscribing it, a sort of way of repressing it. I'm being pretty. I'm painting with gigantic broad strokes here, boys. But I'm ha- I'm happy for any of you to fill in the. Well, I just want to say something like in the Heideggerian sense of it, death is a horizon but in terms of the symbolic order the symbolic is a i think you could say a something which is registered in the i don't know ontological realm or horizon of death in heidegger in heidegger's sense can go unregistered i'm just thinking is that like you know he's like the, the idea that like language speaks right like it speaks us like we answer the call of language well that's like linguistic heidegger and then he turned you know and then he goes completely nihilistic and turns language into nothingness you know he kind of does this like the the i think after the linguistic turn he becomes a fucking nihilist and goes back into the classics and tries to like tries to substantiate his ontology but he keeps on getting back to the fact that being and nothingness are coupled in this hegelian way right and i think i i think if i think about the like i don't know i just feel like that that big letter that's all of ours coming to us you know our own most authentic letter arriving at our, our destination authentically. Right. It doesn't miss its des. You know, it arrived like, this is the one letter that like for certain arrives at its destination. And that destination but is you like, it's it true, is- but that, but that understanding is also a, a, a productive site of enjoyment. Is it not? It's not merely death as an end. Uh, well, actually he does this interesting flip of the word. end. you know, it both does like, like a goal and an annihilation um but there's something like it's not like the letter isn't just oh you're dead like but it's it's the knowledge of that fact the understanding that we will die that that kind of produces an excessive um the whole saying of enjoyment on our part as the subject right and i'm thinking isn't that excess the very you know foundation of all trans all messages transmitted you know all sense all like the symbolic order doesn't it emerge out of the incompleteness of being? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't. I'm not sure. Really necessarily the priority. Like, well, it's not it a chrono- like, it's not a chronological yeah. thing. It's not. It's not. So, I mean, ordering the ordering the three realms is usually just troublesome. Um, yeah. It's like it's kind of futile. But like, yeah. So I'm I'm sorry for even you know kind of hinting that way. It's just it seems like by fate he says we ended up at the third category. It's like oh by fate okay. I don't know. I just think there's something to that. Mm-hmm. Well, death seems to be a fate. Yeah. 
this sort of inductive, yeah, exactly. This inductive thing where he talks about the symbolic and the imaginary sort of reasons for why a letter reaches its destination. And by fate, we'll, we, we arrive at the third category. By but fate, he, but he, we d- arrive he does at the talk real. about how fate is the outcome of contingency rather than, than necessity. Cool. Yeah. Like he goes, he goes and we, set, we all know we will die, death, we don't but know, death we don't is know how we will die. No, but death is the contingent made necessary, right? Or rather, it's the necessary made contingent. Uh huh. Yeah, because we, yeah. we necessarily will die, but when and how and by whose fucking hands, we don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if I've complicated things, but no, I think that's an interesting avenue to go down. It's, it's nice not to a compare it to other to other ways of thinking too. Last week, just uh, read the the liturgy of the Talmud of Shishak. Yeah. Like we ascribe, like he does say though that the, um, the proposition a letter always arrives at its destination is far from being univocal. It offers itself to a series of possible readings. But it's a like I find it frustrating when well not frustrating. Here we go, Jake. Cheetah, calm down. That like when you disaggregate the symbolic and the imaginary and the real, as he did in this essay, and 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 as as everyone does, I think, just for the fucking convenience of explanation, it's like. To me, it's like the objet a, so essentially the formulation of both the symbolic and the imaginary, or at least what was discussed in both of those formulations, is the real. Like the the excess, the objet a is the stain of, is the excess of. It's the, it's the real, is it not? But it's you. Well, yeah, it's the objective. It's the non. It's the non. It's the objective reality of a non-object. It's the stain of the real, right? It's the. I just think it's like, damn it, what like but the stain of the real the stain of the, the real is only stained within the symbolic order, right? Yeah. Like in the, the, the real exactly. is, you know, Ex- existing the real exactly. is there. existing in, you know. That's exactly it. Well, it's just like that's why I think disaggregating them is is, is not uh-huh. is actually well, kind of not yeah, very helpful. It's, it's, agreed. And he also he does I make that point. He says that, yeah. he's, he says the crucial point not to be missed here is that the imaginary the symbolic and the real dimensions of a letter are not external to each other. Perfect. He says it. Great. Amazing. Okay, so I can calm down. <laughs> My hypos are out of joint. Was that a Moby Dick ref? Yes, it was. Nice one. <laughs> I did. I did not get it. Yeah, a dreary November. <laughs> a dreary November when my hypos are out of joint. You know, and I and he talks about like he finds himself wanting to walk into the middle of the street and knock people's hats off. I yeah. feel that it's high time. To go to the sea. Some years ago, never mind how long precisely, having little or no money in my purse and nothing particular to interest me on shore, I thought I would st- sail about a little and see the watery. See the watery the part of the world. It is a way I have of driving off the spleen and regulating the circulation. Whenever I find myself growing grim about the mouth, whenever it is a damp, grisly November in my soul, whenever I find myself involuntarily pausing before coffin warehouses, bringing up the rear of every funeral I meet especially whenever my hypos get such an upper hand of me that it requires a strong moral principle to prevent me from deliberately stepping into the street, methodically knocking people's hats off. Then I count it high time to, to get to see as soon as I can. Hell yeah. Is that the, the very opening lines of the book? Yeah, I, I missed the, I missed the call me Ishmael. Yeah. Call me Ishmael. Okay. And then that line, right. which is just brilliant. Chapter Loomings is like, Loomings and then lo- the line, which is I think is chapter 60. like. The whiteness of the whale, man. Whiteness of the whale is always good. <laughs> whiteness of the whale is pretty awesome, actually. He like kind of deconstructs like the color white, yeah. the non-color. 
But um, and Ahab's so, speech written in fucking iambic pentameter, and then he makes yeah. it into a play for like a few chapters. It's so fucking cool. Seven it's days. also hilarious. You guys, like, Melville's hilarious. Very funny. Yeah, you think we're cool? So you guys think you're better than me, huh? <laughs> listen, listen, you're. It's out there for I'm, everyone. When you I'm, read it, you'll be like, "Fuck!" It I'm is better good. than I was before I read Moby Dick. Put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I didn't quite, Jake. You always you were singing the Moby Dick song for a long time, and <laughs> and I didn't quite believe the Moby it. Dick song. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to believe. In but fact, I was told really so- is, it's of a it's of a standard which almost no other book has reached in my no in my opinion. And what's interesting is unlike it doesn't rely at all on like like if I think about other like grand master you know like works of art texts. It's just good writing. It's not very, it's like stylistically, it's not like, you know, like it's not Ulysses, which is like, it's like, okay, like this is great because it's doing something. But Mel, like Moby Dick's just a good book. It's a good book. I think that's not doing anything. It is doing something surprising and very subtle, but it's not. Oh yeah. Check the fucking library of texts that have been written about Moby Dick. Like, yeah, but like the thing thing that stands out about it really for me is like, you expect, you expect it. Maybe we should talk about this on our own sometime, Jake. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> he That's all right. He wrote Moby Dick. <laughs> he wrote Moby Dick, reread every Shakespearean work, and then wrote it again. Holy shit. That's it took crazy. him I think it took him it took him a long time to write it. You know. So like, yeah, there's stuff going on, but like ultimately it's just a fun read. It's like yeah. you don't have to like you don't have to be like is this Hamlet? Is it Hamlet? You know. Yeah. No, you're but maybe not with the same intentional uh uh obscurantist attitude that James Joyce had. In yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like, I, like I this morning I was sitting back when you guys called, I was like, ah yeah. <laughs> 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 brother came in and I was like, ah oh, <laughs> it's a chiller. It's a chiller, That's, man. Strangely, most people say that I want to enter the room. <laughs> yeah, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's a concept, a, it's a concept that I think we has been mentioned a few times on the podcast the letter never arriving at its destination or sorry always arriving at its destination <laughs> if i was todd and ryan i would be like oh well we'll practice uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it's like dude you just misspoke like it happens all the time <laughs> sometimes a cigar is just a cigar <laughs> yeah but it and it, you know, it it was still eluding me when I read the essay, and I it helped talk about it. Actually, feel free to put put stuff in the Discord if you if you have similar thoughts or if you think we're crazy and you need to, need to tell us so. Uh, anything we want to anything we want to add? Any Michael, I feel like you're you're sitting Any on bottles? an egg over there. I feel like you're sitting on an egg. I can't work it out either. I'm trying to work out what the the real encounter is, but I don't I don't know. Like when like its relation to the other, um, uh, the symbolic and the imaginary that we were discussing. Yeah, yeah. I think, as, uh, like, aside from other Lacanian and Jacekian concepts, I'm going to st- restress this point. I think it does lend an actual like topology or like a like a feeling of like of like a spatiality to the idea because our experience of this would be kind of movement. Yeah, and you can feel like like a dialectic. Also- I mean, it's you know. The dialectic is at work in, like, not just in ideas, but in our our physical existence, mediated through like mm-hmm. our perception of them, but also in, happening in a place. 
perhaps a kind of joining of the material and the you know mm-hmm. the uh uh and idealism but the um is it like the death element of the real where he's discussing it or the enjoyment element the enjoyment element yeah that was yeah that was out there but, yeah, but maybe the the enjoyment the enjoyment of the enjoyment of the potential failure of say the sender of the letter and also the failure that kind of like uh the incompleteness we were discussing that that only gets that only seems necessary upon the um mistaken encounter with the with the letter as the addressee yeah yeah cool like when he says regarding oedipus he's like i'm made in the hour when i cease to be no am i made in the hour when i cease to be so that kind of the the retroactivity of your death which then closes in all of the contingent elements of your life and and ends any flux any Mm. potentiality to it yeah am i made is like hour when i cease to be that's the punctuation that's the Uh uh lacanian short session when s2 reinscribes s1 as knowledge that moment that's like the receiving right like the Mm. i think i think the you know fully fully understanding the like the elimination is not necessarily what we're, what we have to do, but <laughs> I think discuss I think discussing it is is more the important thing. I think we should. I think actually we should we should welcome anybody to, to talk about it on the Discord. Quite frankly, for sure, yeah. About that minutia, about the real. And I'm going to pass out and die now. Okay. My letter. Um, my letter is actually just on its way. <laughs> I feel the postman's knocking at my door. Yeah. Never more. Cough the Never. Jacob. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cough the Jacob. <laughs> Nevermore. <laughs> Great to see you guys. Yeah, you too. Thank, yeah, thanks, thanks for, for uh, thanks, thanks for pulling together. Thanks for waiting. And thanks, Michael, you for staying well. up so late, staying up past your yeah. bedtime. Well, you're dead, son. Go and get yourself buried, Jake. <laughs> dead, son. <laughs> He brought my letter back. She wrote about it. As in a special deal But an early next morning It came right back to me She wrote upon it
Turn!